Hey, hey, here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are settling into the new season in an age-old way. We are marveling at FC Bayern, and we are warily eyeing Dortmund's success, wondering if it can be sustained. With me this week to look at our favorite league is uh, one of my all-time favorite guests. It's Marie Schulte Bauckham. Hey, how goes it? I hear you're back in Germany. <laughs> I'm at, yeah, that's right. I'm actually in the center of it all. Well, that might be a, a popular opinion, but I'm in, in Munich right now. I was going to say, are, are you, what, are you in Kassel? <laughs> the <laughs> center of Germany? <laughs> I mean, I'm not in Kassel, unfortunately, maybe next weekend, but the center of the country, yeah. No, I'm I'm having a great time. It's beautiful weather here. A lot of people are already walking around in Lederhosen because there are already a lot of village festivals ahead of Oktoberfest. And I saw quite a few people today in Bayern jerseys. I actually saw some of the game um, at Stadion an der Schleißheimer Straße, which is a really great sports bar in Munich. If you ever make it to Munich, you have to go to this football bar. They have scarves. Even if you support the team in Lithuania's second division, you know, they'll have that scarf there. Um, so it, it's it's nice to be swept up in in the Bundesliga fever once again. Nice, yeah. I saw one of your sort of nostalgic slash glad to be back tweets about watching Conference on a Saturday afternoon. I saw it, of course, on a Saturday morning, but I kind of wished I was back there watching Conference. It made me feel that particular <laughs> feel. We'll be right back with the best and the rest of Match Day Two. But while I have you here, of course, uh, please do make sure to subscribe to the pod. Give us a five-star rating. That helps get the word out about the pod to new listeners. And if you really like us, maybe become a supporter on Patreon. We get tons of timeless content over there. A brand new season of our history series, Historic Match Day Moments, is up and running. It'll be going all season long. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. And I think at the moment it's pretty clear who's the best. You can just look at the table. There are two teams with six points who have 100% records thus far in the Bundesliga. I'm going to say that it looks pretty familiar to many of us who, who watch this league. It is FC Bayern München and Borussia Dortmund. Both have opened up with two wins in this young league campaign. I think just because the recency of the game and, and of course, your location in the world, Marie, I want to start with Bayern. They just wrapped up not long ago a 2-0 home win over Wolfsburg. That might not sound like a particularly lopsided or, or dominant result, but this is definitely one of the more one-sided two nils I've ever seen. Bayern basically built their lead in the first half and just kind of toyed with Wolfsburg in the second half. Thomas Müller, Jamal Musiala both got on the score sheet, though, uh, you know, Sadio Mane nearly had two goals of his own. However, they were both called back for offside. Marie, I never really felt for a moment <laughs> in this game, that Bayern were going to do anything but win. Is this just the world that we're going to be living in for the foreseeable future? I've been very impressed with what I've seen of Bayern in this, you know, Lewandowski-less present that we're now living in. Yeah, I think it's hard to tell because it's these teams aren't really a good measure for Bayern. I mean, when, when Bayern 
you know, acquires players like, like Sadio Mane or Matthijs de Ligt, they're not paying them high wages to beat Wolfsburg. So I think to really get a good feel of where Bayern's at, we have to wait for the Champions League to start. And then, you know, we have to see who's in Bayern's group. If, if there's a real high caliber team that they can, you know, rub shoulders with to really see where they're at. And as for the game today, I, I don't think I actually was surprised. It wasn't a second Machtdemonstration. You know, it wasn't a second. They didn't pass with flying colors. Um, like you said, it was, they were never uh, truly in danger of, of losing control or losing the game. But, you know, Wolfsburg, they conceded two goals. Of course, in, in fact, they conceded four, but two of them didn't count. But they had some chances. And, um, especially in the first half, I thought the first 20 minutes, both teams were really well matched. So I think time will tell. I, I think it's too early to write love songs about this particular Bayern team in the season. Yeah, I, I I wasn't really planning on writing any love songs about <laughs> about Bayern. That might surprise you, but I think it is not too early, however, for us to maybe start a brand new hype train around Jamal Musiala. <laughs> this was another just shockingly good performance from this young man. He got the first goal of the game for Bayern, the first one that counted, by really, really battling his way through the Wolfsburg defense with you know, a slight, maybe a fortunate bounce for him, but he had to battle through the defense and he, he did so, you know, sort of getting, picking himself up off the ground and controlling the ball and firing it home in a way that like you don't expect from a not very physically powerful kid like him. He also, you know, seemed to be spraying difficult passes throughout the final third in this game, just time and again. I mean, I don't know if it's time for us to say that this is like starting to become his team. And I don't want to say that in like he's like messy or something like that, but he really felt like the center of things in this game. Yeah. And I think even it raised some eyebrows after his uh, performing against Leipzig in the Super Cup two weeks ago, when Nagelsmann after the game kind of in a bout of enthusiasm said that there's no way that he can keep this Musiala in the lineup. And everyone was like, oh, he, he already revealed who he'll play, you know, on the first match day. And, oh, this is so, this is so not a good idea. But it just goes to show like how right he was. He, he scored in every game he's played. And not just that, he's completely dominated on the pitch. He combines really well with money, which is something that I, I think we'll be able to look forward to seeing more of as well. And, and actually, I think he's worked a lot on um, on himself over the summer break. You know, his, his internal team nickname at Bayern was Bambi, not just because of the baby face, but also because he always had quite a slight stature and figure. I mean, he's still only 19 years old and he's already been with this team for two years, you know, getting regular minutes. But he actually, in the, I mean, it's it's too early really to say anything about statistics because it's been two match days, but so far, out of all the players in the league, he's the one who's won the most one-on-one -on -one duels, which is really unusual for an attacking player to, to be at the top of such a list and also for a young player to be at the top of such a list. And he's won an astounding 32 duels. I actually looked it up earlier. And that's more, for example, than people like Nico Schlotterbeck, Jude Bellingham, Frimpong, Mamouche, those are some other people that were like quite high in the rankings. So there's really, you know, pick a category if it's, you know, final third passes or whatever, 
or just the feeling you get when you when you watch him dance through the defensive lines, his name is kind of on everyone's lips right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think depending on how things turn out for Bayern, if this is a hugely successful season for them and he stays healthy, I, I can't imagine that this won't be a season where we all kind of look back and see it as like, oh yeah, that was the season where, where Jamal Musiala went supernova and became Jamal Musiala. <laughs> Just sort of talking a little bit more broadly, I brought up in passing, uh, and I think it's going to be pretty unavoidable for us to do, at least in the short term, the fact that this is a Bayern team that doesn't have Robert Lewandowski in it, who, who basically was the man for you know the better part of a decade there. The narrative, I think, heading into the season, both coming a little bit from Julian Nagelsmann and, and certainly from media, is that potentially this Bayern side would become – more unpredictable or would have more points of attack or would sort of spread the wealth a little bit more and and potentially could use that as an advantage rather than having such an established focal point for their attack. How do you think that's playing out thus far? I mean, it's better than anyone could have imagined, to be honest, I think. Better than I could have imagined. And even after the Leipzig game, I think Domenico Tedesco, the Leipzig coach, put it very eloquently when he said that as the team defending against this Bayern offense, it felt like there were arrows and daggers coming from everywhere. You know, it's, it's like these teams are in a crossfire now because Bayern doesn't have a target striker that they've had, not only in the Lewandowski era, but, you know, there are also players like Giovanni Elba, Roy Mackay, Miro Klose, Mario Gomez. Oh, yeah. Luca Toni. All those guys. Oh, yeah. For decades, Bayern has had that central striker figure. And I think that's also why they were linked a little bit. I don't think it ever got that hot. But that's why, of course, it was natural for them to be connected to Erling Haaland. And we all know how that turned out. Uh, you know, he's not even in the Bundesliga anymore. But it's so unusual. I think maybe the last time was in the in the 90s that Bayern, for a few, you know, for passing time, played without a central target striker. And there was no guarantee that that was going to work out. There was a lot of doubt. And, you know, we know that Lewandowski scores 30 to 40 goals in the Bundesliga every year. And that that's a lot of goals to make up. So there, I think there was justifiably, there were a lot of questions that departure raised. Um, and we all know that the departure was a little bit ugly as well and very drawn out and no one looked very good as is usually the case when Bayern and Sahavi, <laughs> the agent, are involved. Bayern ends up looking a little, <laughs> you know, they end up uh, lying on the ground as well mm -hmm. and getting a little bit dirty. And yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Mane was an immediate uh, improvement to the team. He, he's immediately a leader, also in the changing room from what you hear. And yeah, I mean, just congratulations also, I think, to be fair to Hassan Salihamidzic, who... Me included, you know, myself included has been criticized a lot over the years, but you know, it's very early to say, but it seems like he's done an outstanding job this summer with strengthening this team. Yep. I'm mildly surprised that, uh, that, that things have come together as well as they have. Yeah. Although I probably shouldn't be. This is, this is Bayern 
mention, of course. <laughs> Do you have any read on this Wolfsburg side under Nico Kovac? I mean, Bayern are obviously a really tough measuring stick, but maybe there's something there. I mean, I have noticed he's left Max Kruse out of his starting lineup in both of the first two league games and definitely seems to prefer maybe a little bit more of a battling style. You mentioned Omar Mamouche earlier talking about, uh, you know, leaders in the Bundesliga in, in uh, you know, duels and his name happened to come up there. I yep. mean, he's... <laughs> He's an aggressive attacker who doesn't who doesn't sort of, you know, take a stroll at times like uh, Max Kruse. Yeah, no, definitely an interesting player to keep an eye on, Omar Mamouche. And yeah, it's it's unusual, I think, when we think of modern wingers, we, we think of players that, you know, dribble and, and f- have pace and crosses. And Mamouche, on top of that, has, has the physicality to really not avoid duels, but look for them, go into them. So... That, that will be an interesting player to continue to, to watch. But yeah, with Kruse, you know, a lot of has been made of that in the German press. Um, and there's a lot of speculation if it's a personality clash with Kovac. We know that Nico Kovac is a very dominant coach figure. He's not really the buddy buddy type coach, like maybe Jürgen Klopp or Nagelsmann are. Yeah. That style of coaching is, is more. We think of as more of an old school type coach, especially with this generation of players, um, millennials. And Kruse is known, you know, wherever he's been, he performs, but he, he takes a lot of privileges that other players don't do. You know, he goes to shisha bars and at night, um, when he was at Berlin, he, he went to poker competitions in Las Vegas. And he's, he's very, you know, he's a darling of the, of the tabloids, so to speak. Another one I think is really worth mentioning is Wimmer, who came from Arminia Bielefeld, and is really a very exquisite footballer, very technically gifted, did, you know, really stuck out at Bielefeld. And I think it's hard at a team battling relegation to stick out as a young attacking player, to find those opportunities to, to show your skill, you know, for a team that maybe attacks two or three times a game and to really be involved. And you know, unfortunately, Bielefeld departed the Bundesliga after two years, but Wimmer stayed and he earned that. And pretty much immediately, he's a, a starter for Wolfsburg. And even today, I thought he had some good moments. So, yeah, but, you know, we'll have to see what happens with this Wolfsburg team. I think they're very solid. I think that's that's the word I would use to describe them. You know, they have a above average goalkeeper in Cohn Castells, a lot of experience. They have really good defense. and. Yeah, I think they're definitely the team that I see finishing in the top half of the Bundesliga at the very least. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, losing 2-0 to Bayern, despite the fact that Bayern really ruled the run of play, that's a respectable result. You know, yep. if you go if you go to Munich and you lose 2-0 instead of 6-0 or whatever, you probably got off light. All right, let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about the other team. With a 100% record thus far in the division. That's Dortmund, of course. They got past Freiburg on Friday night, but they did need maybe a little bit of good fortune to get there. Uh, Michael Gregorich header had put, you know, Freiburg up 1-0 at halftime, but late in the game, things started to fall apart for them. Mark Flecken. Mark Flecken, the goalkeeper for Freiburg. He gave Bayfell Bay uh, a little bit of life with about 15 minutes left. He got two hands to Jamie Bino Gittin's shot from distance, but maybe he needed three <laughs> because 
The ball ended up tipping off of his his hands and into the goal. Yusufa Mokoko got a go-ahead goal a few minutes after that, and Marius Wolf added a third for good measure, although it really probably shouldn't have counted. Marie, we've seen Dortmund get two wins from two games against teams who are also in Europe, so this should be pretty testing stuff. Neither one of those wins was particularly dominating, but, you know, still six points in the bag. How convinced by what you've seen from Dortmund are you? I think they're kind of making it up as they go along, which which sounds critical, but I don't mean it like that. I mean that they're really thrifty. You know, there's been a lot of change. They also, which I think actually unfairly, you know, we don't talk about enough in the media. It's always, oh, what's Bayern without Lewandowski? But what's Dortmund without Haaland? And then what's Dortmund without Sebastian Allaire? You know, they also have a big problem to solve, a big, you know, position to, to make up for. And they also had a lot of incoming players this season. So they're doing, they're doing well. And Dortmund has always been a team that in a season will have a few wow wins where they, you know, completely play themselves into a euphoria and score six goals and let in three or whatever. You know, those games have always been reminiscent of Dortmund. And, you know, we recognize them through that. But these kind of scruffy wins where they turn a game on its head, a difficult game like the one against Freiburg, which is a really strong team, or Leverkusen where one early goal was enough and they were able to hold that lead for the whole game. That's something which they often didn't have and where they often lost points. And that's, um, in German, we would say Meisterlich, you know, that that's what you need to be a champion, to get points in these games. And, and now they have six points and only two of 18 teams have achieved that after two match days. So I, I think that they'll be very happy. And it's a good thing, in my opinion, that they have room to grow because, um, that's something that will be a threat um, for them moving forward for, for any team that faces them, I mean. Yep, yep. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned Sebastian Allaire, who was, you know, going to be the sort of, not precisely like-for-like like replacement for Erling Haaland, but was going to be the focal point of their attack. He, of course, we mentioned it last week, everybody probably aware at this point, has going to be spending some time on the sidelines due to his, uh, you know, testicular tumor. Antony Modeste, was the sort of emergency replacement that was brought in this week from uh, FC Köln. And he started right away for Dortmund in this match. What did you think of his performance? Do you think he's going to be a good fit, at least for the sort of time being, until Allaire can get healthy and play? And and more broadly, there was some mention of this on the broadcast, I will admit. Is he maybe the kind of player who demands a slightly different offensive approach than Dortmund have been practicing in recent years. I'm. Mean, I think. I think that's tough to tell. I think that would be a good question for Edin Terzic. You know what? What exactly they've been preparing? But I do think he's a he's a good placement figure at least for the short term for Alea um, because he he definitely has that stature to be you know a, a proper center forward. Um, he's muscular. He's tall. He can get away from defenders. He can drop deep and. He, he's a player who can hold the ball, who can get involved with the Dortmund attack, which is important. He's not someone who, you know, you have to shoot the ball against for him to score. He can, he can handle himself on a, on a football pitch. And, you know, very importantly, he's played against almost all of the opponents. So there's no need for reintegration. Maybe, I mean, these things always matter a lot for players. 
he could possibly wherever he lived before in Cologne, he could probably, you know, stay there. Um, so it's, it's an easy transition for him, I, I expect. But Alea, you know, this is a player who recently was nominated for the Ballon d'Or. You know, this is a really different class of player and, and that's got to hurt for Dortmund. And I think fall on Adeyemi, another new signing on Donia Marlin, who had a disappointing beginning of his first season last year, but has since kind of picked up and had some great showings at the end of last season and also early this year. He seems to be in good form. And of course, um, Marco Reus, you know, those, it will be, um, you'll have to spread that weight of, of scoring and onto many shoulders, a bit like, um, we've seen at, at Bayern Munich. And then I think a secret weapon that they have, if everything goes right, is, you know, they also have a certain American who's dealt with terrible injuries, um, in the past year in Gio Reyna. And a fit Gio Reyna is a very, very good player, um, yeah. to have. <laughs> in your attack. So I think for a second that he plays, that he's the starting number nine for the whole season. I think we can expect him to score at least 10 goals. And I think that that will have to do, that will have to be enough. Um, and anything else is, is great, but I think he'll, he'll definitely score 10. And then there are enough players around him who can also contribute to the attack. There's also Aiden Azar who, to my surprise, also started the game on Friday night. So Dortmund has a lot of, of tools to play with. Yep. We just got to keep Geo healthy until, uh, what, November 21st or something like that, or maybe hopefully through the World Cup. I, I was very glad to hear that uh, Dortmund are taking things very slow with him, let's just say. We're going to leave this this game and, and this discussion behind. Just a, an interesting little aside in case folks weren't aware of this. Mark Flecken, who, you know, had a terrible screw up in this game, allowing the first goal for Dortmund. I heard from from a, a sort of a friend over the weekend that this was um, one of the worst goalkeeping errors he had ever seen in watching soccer in a lifetime. But maybe he just hasn't seen his Mark Flecken's error from uh, February 2018 while he was playing for MSV Duisburg. He lost track of the run of play you know, he, he, you know, passed the ball to a teammate who then turned the ball over. And while all that was happening, he was getting a drink from his water bottle and didn't realize that his team had lost possession and got scored on when he wasn't even on his line or aware that the ball was coming his way. It was a pretty, pretty embarrassing mistake. So that, that's well worth a, well worth a, a YouTube. Just type Fleck in Duisburg. You'll find it. <laughs> Let's move on now. Let's, Marie, I, I've made you wait long enough. Let's talk Schalke. <laughs> Uh, your Royal Blues. They picked up their first point of the new tenure in the top flight on Saturday night. Pretty topsy-turvy game against Gladbach. Rodrigo Zalazar put uh, Schalke Nufia up with a really nice sort of a long-distance grass cutter just before the half-hour mark. But the Foles came roaring back in the second half. They eventually took the lead with 12 minutes left through a goal from Marcus Turam, who had actually assisted on the equalizer a few minutes earlier. To me, anyway, it looked like a third goal for Gladbach was maybe just as likely, if not likelier, than a tying goal for Schalke, but the latter is what we got. Patrick Hermann handled the ball in the box, trying to clear it. Marius Bulta converted a spot kick to make it two goals from two games for the journeyman. How's your outlook on this team, Schalke, after two games, Marie? You know, I think it's it, my outlook. It's it's twofold. I think my outlook is positive for Schalke. 
Um, I think what makes it difficult is that, in my opinion, the selection of teams that we have in the Bundesliga this season, the 18 teams that are present, is by far the strongest field that I've seen in years, maybe five or six years. Um, I agree. And that's something I I talked about with a friend uh, the other day. And yeah, Schalke's playing well. And, you know, they definitely have, I would say, three or four players who have Bundesliga caliber. Now, that sounds a little sarcastic or cynical, but I mean that in the sense that last match day tomorrow, you know, there would be three or four players that that would be scooped up by really good teams in the Bundesliga and 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 would have earned their stay. You know, teams like Gladbach. I mean, Gladbach already did sign Koitakura, one of the heroes of the promotion battle uh, last year. And, you know, he's a starter even for Gladbach. So that says a lot about the quality of some of these players at Schalke's disposal. But has to be to leave at least three teams behind you at the end of the season and that's tough if you look at who's down there because it's Stuttgart it's Hertha although Augsburg you know has had a fantastic start to the season Bochum is perhaps on paper the weakest of the lot but you, you got to find at least three teams or make, make, at the very least two so you make, make that relegation game but I don't think anyone wants to do that so it's it's really hard for me to give a prediction of, of where this journey will take Schalke, but I think they're doing what they need to do. You know, they integrated the new players. At, at the, on the first match day, they played with seven newly signed players, and that's always tough, you know, to build a new team so fast and have those mechanisms on the pitch that work and those players who know who's on the right of them, who's on the left, who's going to be likely to make a sprint or, you know, run into a room, a space uh, for a through ball. And that that will only get better. But I do think, talking about these players, I think Rodrigo Salazar is going from strength to strength. He scored the first goal pretty much for the second game running. So he already scored the open against Cologne. Now, as we know, unfortunately, due to dubious VAR decisions, that goal wasn't given. But he's he's a very confident player, goal-scoring threat from range, likes to go into the dribble, seems to really identify with the team, which is always something that matters a lot to the fans. And Uwe Jan, who was always sensational of his crosses last season, he was he was kind of like a poor man's Philip Kostic, <laughs> is doing the same thing. He's pick, he's picking up where he left off. Marius Bülter continues to be master of efficiency. And Terode is now back. Um, he, he had a slight injuries and he was able to start this game again. Um, and then also in defense, Yoshida, the replacement Japanese defender after Itakura's departure. That was quite a, a scoop, I thought, by Ruben Schröder because Yoshida had been, you know, a Southampton regular in the Premier League for years. And to bring a player of that stature and experience to a promoted team in the Bundesliga, if we just, you know, for a second, forget that this is Schalke, but just realize that it's actually an Aufsteiger, you know, a team new to the league after a year. And we know that budgetarily, in terms of salaries and everything, the second Bundesliga and Bundesliga are very different spheres. And then, of course, Kral and Kraus, I think, in defensive midfield, it's an interesting pairing. Kraus on loan from, from Leipzig. He was at Nuremberg last season. And Kral, a really talented player, Czech Republic national team player, who, you know, that's also a new pairing, but it seems to be working. So I think, sorry, I can't, I really can't stop talking about this because I'm so happy they're back. (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're they're doing their best and their best isn't 
ball. And uh, even, I mean, in the first half against Gladbach, of course, Gladbach had way more of the ball, but Schalke had way more, had the more dangerous opportunities and were really in the game. And this is a strong Gladbach team with um, Champions League caliber attackers, probably a much higher payroll, and, and Schalke was able to kind of keep up. So I'm looking forward to, to watching how they get on this season. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to getting to know this squad uh, as well. Maybe just a quick word between uh, Alexander Schwolo and uh, Alex Kral about uh, <laughs> communication on set pieces might might be in order, but uh, that's that, that's something to work on down the line. I wanted to ask you a quick question about Frank Kramer. You know, obviously they, you know, Schalke made that change in, in coaching toward the sort of you know late middle of, of last season, which was proved to be decisive in their promotion campaign. There was a lot of anticipation over who they might bring in. There was also a lot of maybe disappointment or, or a feeling of, of underwhelmingness surrounding the hire of, of Frank Kramer, who had come off of, you know, getting getting fired at Bielefeld, although for a time anyway, looking like he was uh, doing some good work there. What did you make of the hiring at the time? How are you feeling about it now? What sort of can you recognize as, as his goals with this team? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the goal has to be to stay in the league. And, and it's still, I think, unusual. It, I think a lot of people have to take a, you know, they need a double take because this is a team that a few years ago played in the Champions League knockout stages and came second in the Bundesliga in, in 2018. So this it, it's still un, a little unfamiliar territory to talk about, okay, our target is to be 15th, you know, but credit the players and, and the people responsible at the top and, and management and the coaching staff have always voiced that. And that's also that Pankama is familiar with um, based on his previous stations in German football. He was announced, my first reaction, I think many people felt this way, not just Schalke supporters were like, why? You know, like, I think a lot of us still, you know, people wanted... We're talking about Roger Schmidt and coaches who are maybe a, li a little bit sexier, so to speak, you know, in terms of like their ambitions, their tactical acumen, their style of play, um, also like their, their shine, you know, just how they present themselves in the public eye. And, and that's not him, but, you know, Frank Rama is, you know, he, he seems like the, the guy who would coach the neighborhood little league team, you know? <laughs> yeah. He, he was literally wearing like relaxed fit jeans and a white t-shirt with bright white sneakers on the sideline. He looked like the neighborhood little league coach. Exactly. Like the guy, the guy who you say hi to at the pub, you know, and who works in the local, I don't know, construction company or something. And then coaches little league. So this isn't, the glamour that Schalke, you know, even just a few years ago, very much thought to be a part of, um, of the European elite. So, but, but I think he's, he's the right coach at the right time. And, you know, you could hear a lot of the players over the summer. I mean, of course, new coach players always going to kind of suck up a bit and praise the coach because it's, you know, it's, it's open season on who's going to play and everyone starts at ground zero, but was saying he he talks to us he takes young players aside he's supportive he's patient 
So it seems like he's a really good communicator with, with the with the players. And let's give him an opportunity. It seems to be at the moment, you know, they, they got a point against Gladbach. And that's good. You know, they could have very well been at the end of the league table by now. And they're not. So I think let's wait and see. Yep. Yep. I agree. All right. I think we should probably leave it there. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about Gladbach, unfortunately. I think, I think despite the fact that Schalke put in a, a credible performance, I think Gladbach were probably a bit hard done by to, to give up that late goal, but there's plenty to talk about with them. We'll do it another week. We need to take a break and then we will come back and talk about the rest of match day two. Here we are with part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day two, of course. Interesting things with uh, some of the teams toward the top of the table last year uh, getting off to less than stellar starts. First off, we will talk about Bayer Leverkusen. They lost for the first time ever in the league to FC Augsburg. They had uh, either beaten or drawn with them 22 straight times. And I, mean, I guess you would call this an improbable win, not only in terms of track record, but what with all the chances that Leverkusen had and how few chances Augsburg had comparatively. But, you know, the Augsburg goalkeeper, Rafael Gikiewicz, pulled off just a series of, of, of scarcely believable saves to keep Leverkusen to just one goal. And uh, Andre Hahn got that late winner. You know, now that I've said that this was actually a fairly well-functioning offensive performance, aside from the finishing from Leverkusen, maybe maybe I've pushed my answer in a certain direction. But the facts are still as they are, Marie. This is two league games, one cup game for Leverkusen, every game a loss. Is there actually something wrong with this team? Or, or do you think there's you know reason to think that the results are going to turn around? Yeah, I think there's reason to believe the results will turn around, but it's a little surprising to us all, I believe, you know, because we know Leverkusen as the team that falters at the end of a season, yep. <laughs> that runs out of steam at the very end and always disintegrates seemingly without cause. And so it's unfamiliar to see them struggling now so early on and without, you know, with all due respect to Augsburg, that's, that's a team that Leverkusen as history has shown, like you said, normally would would defeat without much struggle. And um, yeah, this is like the revenge of the Lieblingsgegner, their favorite opponent. And it's difficult to fathom because they strengthened their team really well. You know, um, for example, the Czech compatriot of, of Patrick Schick, Losek, um, is a really promising attacking player who, for a 19-year-old, has incredible numbers in, in terms of assists and goals uh, to his name and they paid a large sum of money for him and were able to succeed in battling off other suitors and then of course um, or ask Muam, um you can correct me if I'm wrong the uh, Iranian superstar who we saw glimpses of at, you know in the Rückrunde in the second half of the season last year but who now is very much part of this team also to you know fill the shoes of injured Florian Wirtz so they, they definitely have enough talent, but it, it seems to be that they're still in their feet, but I'm not worried. I think, um, they'll still be competing for those Champions League spots and 
they just, you know, it's like a, a car that needs a few goes to, to, to jumpstart and is then a luxury sports car on a German autobahn. I think, I think that's where they'll be heading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have faith that they will not stay uh, at the bottom of the table for, for too much longer. We do need to offer a little bit of congratulation to Augsburg, not only for getting that first ever win in the league over Leverkusen, but just, you know, getting a result for their for their new coach, Enrico Massen. You know, he came in from the Bayfau Bay Reserves, uh, hoping to implement, as he said, maybe a somewhat more technical style at FC Augsburg. How tricky do you think that is going to be for him with with this squad? Yeah, very, very tricky, to be honest. I, I do think Augsburg sometimes is unfairly dismissed by so-called experts, former pros, you know, me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. They, they've, been, they've been in the league now for more than a decade, which is kind of incredible because at the beginning of every season, when it comes to guessing who's going to go down, like 50% of people say Augsburg every year <laughs> and that has not materialized. And you you did mention earlier like especially this season when you have big clubs like Werder and Schalke coming up and had fairly small clubs like Bielefeld and Fürth leaving like if you just look at the stature of clubs like it's it's very hard to look past them as a as a relegation favorite. In that and say, you know, for young players or players trying to build their career in new ways at progressed ages, that that's something that could help Augsburg. You know, it's it's a remote, small little town without much press attention for people to develop. I think that was also something that, you know, made Ricardo Pepe sign. Of course, he's, he struggled and continues to struggle to adapt. But, you know, they have they have talented players in there and players who punch above their weight. And they're like the the little guy um, keeping up with the big guns. And yeah, as, as far as, you know, your question about them playing a more attacking football, I mean, I think that would be the cherry on top of the cake. You know, I'd much rather, if, if I were Augsburg, I'd much rather like Leverkusen like they did rather than win any awards for, for style. And I think even with the coach, I think at the end of the day, People can say what they want to say. That That's what he'll be measured on. He'll be measured on points in the bank, not, you know, beautiful tricks and technical flow of play um, on the pitch. Yeah, I'm afraid that that's the conclusion we all come to in the end, in the short term anyway. Let's talk about the other team who has kind of uh, stumbled out of the gates, who is a Champions League hopeful and was a has been a Champions League participant in, the, in recent years. That's uh, RB Leipzig. Two points from two games for them. They got another draw, this time at home, to FC Köln. It was actually the Billy Goats who were, who were playing catch-up in this uh, second half of this game, but on balance, I, I think that they you know, were well worth a draw. Tons of fanfare surrounding Timo Werner's return to Leipzig ahead of this uh, 2-2 result. Uh, he did score the opener, though, you know, Cone keeper Marvin Schwebe might have played a small part in letting that goal in. Um, what do you make of that addition to uh, Leipzig's squad? And do you think that his return to the Bundesliga is going to be all that's cracked up to be? Yes, I think, too. I'm totally that Timo Werner, as far as that's concerned. I know that he, in the international game, got a few hits and dents and got some damage through his time in the Premier League, where he wasn't always 
what what he was cracked up to be and what was expected of him. But he knows Leipzig's style of play. He was there for a really long time. Leipzig, you know, also to their credit, a lot of these players he knows from before because they always were able to keep a certain core of, of their, you know, certain axes in Willi Orban, Halstenberg, Klostermann, Gulashi. Nkunku has already been there for two or three years now as well. So he's, he's going to, you know, he's lying in a made bed, so to speak. And this team suits him. And he has talented players around him in Danny Olmo, Shobolai, like Nkunku, Andre Silva as well. And I think he'll do really well. I think he has to as well. He's, he's of that age now where he's no longer a talent. He's, you know, a, a player that others rely on. And he has to defend his spot in the German national team with the World Cup coming up. So I think he'll be extra motivated. And it's really lucky that he got this dream start of scoring. And I think as, as far as Leipzig starting with just two points is concerned, you know, when we read the fine print, they, they played with with 10 men for more than half of that game. And yeah. by the way, Köln is like the early VAR, you know, if it continues like this, I'll be expecting you know, VAR to be printed on the back of some Cologne jerseys and fans to celebrate that because very much against Schalke and Leipzig, they benefited from really odd, not odd in the sense that they were wrong, but odd in the sense of like moments when they happened and then and everyone was like, ah, okay. And then, you know, players got sent off and, you know, they were the beneficiaries of that twice. So I think Leipzig were a little hard done by in, in that sense in this particular game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, I think Soboslai was, um, I think that was a bit harsh, but, you know, when, when you sell, when you sell it as well as uh, Florian Kainz did, it's, it's hard to argue with. Okay. Guess that I don't have a lot. Of, of observational energy for Cologne this week. I mean, we've got still three, four more games to talk about, so we should probably press on. Let's talk a little bit about another game that uh, sort of VAR played a bit of a role in, or a lot of a role in, in the end. Uh, that was uh, Hertha and Eintracht, which was a 1-1 draw. You know, Eintracht really, really wanted to bounce back in this game. They had, you know, been hammered by Bayern in the season opener. They've been, you know, outclassed by Real Madrid in the uh, UEFA Super Cup in midweek. They had just lost their, you know, most influential attacker of recent years, Philip Kostic, to Juventus during the week. So, you know, the chance to play Hertha after all that is probably a reasonably tasty proposition, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Hertha were up early on the Eagles. Suat Serdar scored in the third minute, but, um, you know, Daichi Kamada scored in the third minute of the second half to equalize here. I mean, I, I really feel like both teams were pretty profligate with their finishing. I feel like this is a game that pretty easily could have ended up, you know, 2-2 or 2-1 in either team's favor. But the real decisive moment at least for a lot of fans, especially Eintracht fans who are pretty steamed about this, was a penalty kick, which they were awarded in the final minute of regulation that uh, Frank Willenborg eventually thought better of after a look at the VAR monitor. It was, you know, Raphael Boré going in on, um, you know, Oliver Christensen, the goalkeeper for Hertha, and, you know, being clipped 
on one of his, uh, the, I guess, his ankle or the top of his foot or something like that as he was pushing the ball wide, trying to elude the attentions of the goalkeeper. A couple of steps later, he fell down. And uh, Villenborg initially thought that it should be a penalty, but then had a look at it and decided against it. Any any thoughts on either de- the decision, the, the length of time it took for them to come to that decision? Anything? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is the majority opinion among observers, but I was stunned that to, to me this was a red card and, and a penalty because Christensen, he was so far away from getting to the ball. You know, the ball was like, from from where he made contact with Boré and Boré he, he was in full sprint he was trying to go around the keeper and slot it in and you know he got away from defenders and yeah if you clip your ankle from there which, which he did you're gonna if you're in full sprint you're gonna lose your footing and to his credit I don't think he tried to fall I think he tried to stay on his feet um, so this was in no way in my opinion the way I read this situation this wasn't a dive um, this was bad goalkeeping. I felt a little bad for the Frankfurt fans, but I think given the, how the game had gone, I actually thought that for much of it, Hertha looked like the better team. So maybe all in all, this was karma and maybe a draw was, was the result that this game deserved. Um, cause I think Hertha, you know, they looked like a new side, especially in the first half, um, when they had some really good, um, combination play some good play down the wings, especially through Lukabakio. It's a little, of course, bruising when you have a scene like that at the very end of the game. And it, on, you know, from the perspective of Frankfurt, you're already counting the three points in your, in your pocket, um, so to speak. And, and then that taken away. But yeah, what did you, what did you make of this, Matt? What, um, what did you think of this particular scene? Well, <laughs> I was delighted, Marie. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I, yeah, of course I was delighted, uh, just because uh, of the factors that you brought up. Where I too felt that you know Hertha had been been worth a draw in this game, but I, I do understand the anger because there was definitely contact, and just from a sort of you know trying to judge a situation in in you know equal to any other situation, you have to recognize that the contact was made with the player and not with the ball. But, you know, the, the decision that Villenborg seemed to have come to in some of his comments after the, after the game was that he believed after watching the replay several times that Boré did not fall because of the clip on his ankle, that he felt that he was able to plant his foot after that and another foot before on them, the third foot fall, which was the one that sort of made him slip out and felt that it was, it was more of a slip than than a foul, which, you know, like I said, I was delighted that he came to that conclusion, but um, I'm not entirely convinced that it was a nailed on correct decision. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of flawed argumentation as well, because it's not the consequence of a foul that then begets the, the reaction from the referee. It's the foul itself. You know, it's not we don't test a foul by how spectacular a player falls. (laughs) by the contact made by the offender, so to speak. So I, 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 yeah, that kind of eludes me. But this whole era of VAR, I think we all thought would make the game fairer when in reality, scenes, and I think it's even weirder for players and for people in the stadium, you see something happen and you're like, oh, that's a crystal clear goal or that's clearly offside or that's clearly a foul. Um, and then like in these alleys uh and in this case you know in a cellar in the 
in the famous cellar of Cologne, there are then these these shadow figures who reinterpret something, and and, and that can be a little frustrating. I think there's we've reached a point where things get overanalyzed and kind of common sense gets shoved aside for for really slow motion viewings of scenes and. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that VAR is teaching us that there are many truths. There isn't just one truth. And so there'll always be many opinions as a result. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And, and you know, it, it can and it is frustrating, but it, it's also delightful at times. Let's <laughs> just remember that. Okay. Uh, S. Valverde Bremen, they drew 2-2 with uh, Falfby Stuttgart. This is a game that actually did experience um, late drama. Oliver Burke. Oliver Burke. Remember him? Remember him? <laughs> he struck with the last kick of the game to give uh, Werder Bremen that 2-2 that draw. You know, Werder, you saw them probably more than I did last season, considering they were playing the same division as your team. What's your read on them and their sort of return to the Bundesliga? Yeah, it's it's really promising. They're playing with a lot of confidence and and chemistry between their players and I think also that has a lot to do with their two attackers, Duksch and Fulkuk, who were a beautiful pairing, kind of like in, in very much in the mold of the 2000 era, you know, between 20, 2000 and 2010, when it was still typical for Bundesliga teams to have two strikers. You know, there was yep. Raul and Huntela, then there was Grafic and Checo, and now there's suddenly Fulkuk and Duksch, and there were some doubts if they would be able to replicate that success and that play with each other, you know, a tier higher. And it seems to be working. And I also think, um, you know, they, they brought along this new Danish midfielder, um, Stage, I think, I'm, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And, you know, they're fans of the Danes at Veda, you know, they also had. Um, a certain player who then made his name at Dortmund after. So, you know, I think I'm positively surprised how well they're coping and it's not easy, um, playing Stuttgart. And yeah, they, they definitely did well. And I think they also deserved to, to go away with, with the point there. Quickly, let's talk about Hoffenheim and their 3-2 win over Bochum. This was another sort of moment of late drama on the weekend. You know, Bochum had gone up early in this one, two, two goals in the first half. Then Hoffenheim had to sort of claw their way back before halftime, before getting that very late winner from Munis Dabur. Any sort of initial thoughts about either of those sides? I mean, Hoffenheim probably is is hoping for something a little bit better than last season. And Bochum, I think their sights are firmly set on survival, as we've kind of uh, halfway touched on. Yeah, no, I think, you know, Zoller was back in the starting lineup um, and definitely showed that he was worth his spot. He scored a double within two, I think it was two minutes and, and 20 seconds of each other were his two goals, which is yeah. really quite something. Um, and he kind of pointed at his biceps and, you know, it's always like a release of, of endorphins and also of pressure for a striker to show what they're worth. Um, and even though he played more in like a midfield role in this particular game, to me, he's very much a striker. And as far as Hoffenheim is concerned, yeah, it's kind of like a, a reset for them. You know, they have a new coach. They're, they're trying something new with, with, you know, their setup and 
this result gives Breitenreiter a little bit of, of leeway and, you know, gives him a little bit of time to, to focus on fine tuning without immediately having pressure from up high. And I mean, Hoffenheim was one of those, I think, big question marks last year, the way that they completely disintegrated at the end of the season after a really strong start. Because I remember early last year, around the Christmas holidays, there was incredible announcements that came out of scene time every week. They were extending with incredible players. A lot of um, talented players signed long contracts there, and it really looked like they were building a bit of an era. And I think a lot of those players expected to be playing Champions League or Europa League. And then, of course, that didn't materialize. So must have been a, a very disappointing, bittersweet summer for them. And, and now I think they're, they're also a team that we have to reckon with this season, especially as far as European qualification spots are concerned. Yep, yep. They could be very interesting. Some of their, some of their sort of later signings, including a guy named Ozon Kabak. You might be familiar with him. <laughs> As well as Angelino, very interesting, interesting pickups for a team that's sort of, sort of um, on a reclamation project of the of, of its own. All right, one last game to talk about, or you know, not talk about if we want. Uh, that was Mainz versus FC Union Berlin. Nobody scored in this game. Uh, I watched it. I was not terribly entertained. I would just as soon skip it. What do you think? Yeah, I think it, it, this was a good matchup because in some ways. These two teams play similarly. Yep. You know, they're both very compact defensively. They don't shy away from duels and their attacking style as well. And, and they're similar size, similar budget. But yeah, and, and I guess in the end, they neutralize each other. And this very much, this type of game falls into, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to see it, did it really happen? You know, there, there, there isn't really much that I can add beyond, beyond saying that these sides are surprisingly similar to each other. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I think neutralized each other uh, really kind of hits the nail on the head. First time for me watching, watching Mites this season. I was interested in, in the substitute new, newcomer, Angelo Fulgini. It seemed, seemed uh, potentially dangerous to me. Yeah. A couple of moves that, I, that was, um, not, not too shabby. Getting some space in the box for himself. He's, he's kind of like an old school number 10, isn't he? Like a true playmaker. And I feel like that's a rare breed. And yeah, it'll be fun to see see how he gets on. Well, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. So good to have you back, Marie. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I'm really glad to be back. I think this season, there's a lot um, at stake and a lot to look forward to. Um, of course, also with the World Cup coming up. so. I think a lot of the players, you know, will be extra motivated no matter what their nationality is. And I think we'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah, I think you're right. And it also was great to have uh, the likes of Werder Bremen and your Schalke back in the league. There's much more to talk about from that perspective as well. If you want to find uh, Marie on Twitter, she is at Marie Shubo. If you want to find me there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Talking Goosebot Extra will be coming up in just a couple of days to give you your lower league fix. This is next to Mario. 